Blue Wire. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 29 of That's What B Said. I am your host, Bree Rust, at Breezy Clee, and I am joined by my co-host, Brittany Mollis, at Bird's Eye View. Hey, Britt. Hello, Bree and everyone. <laughs> and Meredith Kane at MCAN Sports. Hi, Mare. Hello, ladies. All right, ladies. So today's show is going to look a little different. Probably one of the more serious shows we've done um, in the past. We definitely miss sports just as much as you guys do. And while there's no doubt we would be able to fill hours of showtime talking about the Browns, Baker Mayfield, and all the other Cleveland sports team, we collectively agreed that we would be doing ourselves and all of you a disservice if we didn't address the current state of affairs happening in our country and even in our own backyard. Uh, we also have a couple of guests lined up um, for the show uh, to help aid in the discussion and educate our listeners as well. So we are excited to bring you this show, although a little bit more in serious nature, uh, but we hope that you guys find it um, as beneficial as we all have putting our thoughts together. So with that being said, we're going to talk about George Floyd and the blatant act of racism and the discussion that has been ongoing across the entire country. So I'm sure everyone at this point knows George Floyd was an unarmed black man who was murdered last week in Minneapolis at the foot of a police officer. I'm sure most of you have seen the video and there's obviously been a lot more detail surfacing around his death. Um, and one officer has been arrested. The remaining three still have not been arrested. So on that front, there is still a lot of people upset about that, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. um, the aftermath of the murder has been loud. Um, it's been time to listen. Um, and if you haven't given yourself a chance to listen, we want to encourage you that it's not too late to start. So you're probably thinking, you three white women, what do you know? <laughs> Brittany, I'm going to kick it off with you. What do we know? <laughs> All right. So here's what we know. Well, I tried to think of ways to explain myself. And it's it's a tough thing to talk about because you guys know you don't want to say anything wrong. You don't want to misspeak for anyone. Um, you have, I, While putting this all together, I had to keep reminding myself... You know, I'd write something and be like, uh, that's probably not the right thing to say. But um, I started writing something earlier. And I think the best thing that we can do, like as everyone, is just start having conversations with people. First of all, like this is much bigger than just this one death. Because you have a lot of people that keep saying, well, you know, nobody is defending, you know, Floyd's death. Nobody's defending that cop. Okay, but you take it another step and say, they're not angry. We're not angry about this one death. You know, it's a systemic problem that has been going on for decades. So when you try to minimize it and say, well, you know, it's it, this one time that you can't just paint this picture of all cops being bad. <sighs> My problem is that, and I tried to, okay, let me try to explain this to you in like a, an easy way, because I, I think I figured out a way to do this. Okay. So guys, you can love something and still recognize that it needs improvements. Like we do it all the time. 
Yep. So how many times have you looked in the mirror and thought, you know what, I could probably lose a few pounds, <laughs> right? Too much. D- d- um, Brie, stop. <laughs> Come on, we've been in quarantine. Stop. But like, you do that and it doesn't mean you hate yourself. Um, every time it storms, shingles fall from our roof. Like, we recognize that we need a new roof, but that doesn't mean we need or want to demolish the whole house. Um, if your car breaks, do you just throw it away? Like, you know, ask yourself these questions, guys. So we don't fix things because we hate them. We fix things because we care about them and we need them. We fix them because if we don't, these things can't keep up. They can't survive. Most things just aren't la- aren't built to last forever, so you know they need checkups, they need improvements, they need updates. Um, you know, when we're kids, we go to school to learn because we know knowledge paves the way to something better. It should. Uh, we practice our skills as adults to improve, so we can be more successful at things. We go to the doctor when something is wrong, so we can make it better. So we do all these things every day when we recognize a problem and we say, "Okay, this needs fixed." The problem that we're having right now is that so many people aren't recognizing this problem that we have with law enforcement. It's not about, you know, a few bad cops. My my issue from, you know, the moment I saw that video was that there were four cops on the scene, four. One of them had his foot on this man's throat, killing him. Three of them stood around and did nothing to help. They complied with everything that was happening. So as a human being, you look at that situation and you say, that's a symptom of a much, much bigger problem. And it, it's, it's at the point now where it's like, guys, you don't have to hate police to want to improve it. You don't have to, you know, we all recognize that, not all of us, but like most of us probably recognize that we need cops. We need law enforcement. We need these things in place to keep order or else, you know, there's just going to be chaos. But you could take something that you like and value and appreciate and say, we don't want to totally destroy it. We just want to make improvements. We just want to help. As human beings, you should want what's best for everyone. And like, you know, I think we're at a point where we should stop looking at it as you know we hate them we want them dead like we don't value police like that's not it we just see a problem with the system we want to take care of people and you know how much longer i know i've been super annoying lately about everything i'm not gonna apologize not at all right no like it got to a point where it's just like enough's enough i'm not just gonna you know stick to sports anymore not someone told me to shut up and talk about football (laughs) and i was like no that's it. Just no. I'm not. I'm not built that way anymore, guys. I'm done. So, that was my spiel today. Yeah, the most annoying phrase to me is "stick to sports," especially when it's thrown at people like LeBron James or Colin Kaepernick <laughs> or, or you know, just any athlete or musician. Like Taylor Swift uh, tweeted recently, and people are telling her to stick to music, and it's like, well, no. We are all Americans that live in the United States, and just because. There is, like just because LeBron James or Taylor Swift has an elevated celebrity status, it doesn't mean it doesn't affect them, mm-hmm. you know. And then on top of that, they realize how influential they are. LeBron James and Taylor Swift both know exactly how influential they are, and they yeah. are trying to use their voices for good. So when someone comes at them and says, 
shut up and dribble or stick to music, it makes my blood boil. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the most ignorant things you can say. It's like, don't have an opinion or don't have thoughts about really important issues that in most cases impact those players directly. Um, Brittany, I'm actually glad you touched on that side of things because um, in my instance, I don't know much either, but what I have realized over the last week or so is that I don't want to be neutral in this Mm -hmm. matter. Um, And I've always admired the people that don't shy away from speaking their mind and putting their beliefs out there on social media, Mm -hmm. Um, especially those that have a larger following because it's a lot to put yourself out there. And oftentimes they're the ones that get attacked for Mm -hmm. that sheer reason. Um, And Brittany, I'm looking at you because you've been pretty true to who you are um, and you haven't swayed at all. And I admire that. And I was the type of person that I don't like conflict. I don't like dealing with it. I want everyone to get along. Mm -hmm. Um, I have the lover, not a fighter mentality. And I realized recently that it felt like my perspective on social media had started to mirror real life where I was avoiding topics to try to keep the peace Mm -hmm. um, or brushing things off. And in my mind, I wasn't a bad person. I just selfishly didn't want to get attacked. And I say all this knowing that I don't have millions of followers on Twitter, but Mm -hmm. over the last few years, it's grown. Um, And now that we have a podcast and our voices are out there reaching more people than, than what I even know and can see, Mm -hmm. I realized that I was part of the problem and that by not saying anything and not speaking up to what I truly believe in, um, I wasn't helping and I wanted to be part of the solution. So I broke my traditional silence. Um, Mm -hmm. I moved out of Switzerland territory (laughs) and I spoke up. You moved out of eight and eight territory. (laughs) (laughs) I took a stance. You I took a stand. And you know what? Um, it ignited a fire in me. And I'm a passionate person. So, you know, I, I, I'm passionate about sports. I'm passionate about my children, my life. And this is something else that once I started, I was like, you know what? Why was I ever holding back? And I apologize wholeheartedly for not taking a stance or at least putting myself out there. And I know that I lost probably hundreds of followers. And you know what? I don't care because I actually gained a lot of followers that I've had really deep conversations with over the last few days. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm no martyr at all by any means. Like I just am happy that I had time to self-reflect and realize that I needed to be better. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm very proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) I sound like your mom. (laughs) no but these things they make people uncomfortable and i used to be like that too where i was like you know i'm not gonna get in this whole politics thing and blah 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 even though like in my free time this is what i do like i watch the news i keep up with politics like the world is so much bigger than sports and yeah i love sports and you know eventually we're gonna get back to a point where that's gonna be the focus of this podcast again um because that's why we're here you know, shut up and stick to sports. I know. <laughs> Wait, they actually um, don't want us to stick to sports either, though. So I, know. I don't know. Like, I'm confused. You, you just want to sit here and fart in a microphone for an hour? <laughs> like, what do you want? 
Oh. No, but, um, you know, I last week when we were talking about how it drives me crazy when, you know, people don't take stands on things. Like, this is what we're here for, guys. Like, this is real life. The, the government, the, the all these, you know, taxpayer-funded things, this is... You own this stuff. This is yours. So you should be mad if things aren't going the way they should be. You should be mad if, you know, there's injustice going on. You should be mad if there's corruption going on. These are all normal human reactions of people that, you know, <laughs> don't have something wrong with them. I, I'm trying to be nice, all right? <laughs> I'm trying. But, um, yeah, like, I, I never want to be the person where someone questions my values or my heart. Yes. Like, when you, you see me, you see the things that I talk about or, you know, tweet, you know exactly where I stand on everything. There is no secrets anymore. And the past, like, week or so, I stopped caring about people being mean or nasty. They've been meaner and nastier than ever this past week. I promise. They've been... Everyone's like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, quote tweet them. You're giving them attention. You guys should see all the stuff I don't quote tweet. Yeah. All the oh stuff that God, I yeah. just bury or block. It is disgusting. But you know what, guys? I don't even care anymore. Because <laughs> when I go to sleep at night, I'm like, I feel like I'm doing the right thing yeah. as a human being. So if, if, you know, me talking about not killing black people makes you uncomfortable well then that's more of a you problem than yes. a me problem i think can we just bring that up for a minute and meredith i want to get to uh your your feedback too on all of this because you have some important things too that i want to talk about but Brittany, you hit the nail on the head uh, what i've been saying is regardless of your political views and your political stance mm-hmm. racism is not political that's it so let's just talk that's about it. that for a minute like that, it is yes. not a public like, it is not blue it is not red no. It's just not. It's about being a decent human being. It's so simple. It sounds so simple. Just be a decent person and say, you know, do people deserve this? It's such a it's such a basic question. Do people deserve this? Doesn't matter, you know, color, whatever. Does anyone deserve this? No. As a human being, you just say no and you just stand up and speak out and say, you know, I'm here to do whatever I can to to make this stop. That's it. I always, and my my sister's joining the podcast later to talk about books, but I go back to a book that I read in, I think, seventh grade, To Kill a Mockingbird. Classic mm-hmm. book. Classic literature. And this quote has resonated with me, like, throughout my entire life. So my mom actually was my teacher, so good job, mom. This stuck with me. Yay. But the takeaway from that book was you don't know what it's like until you... It's like you crawl into someone's skin and walk around in it. And like, this is exactly what it like. I will never be able to understand what a black person goes through. Mm -hmm. Never. So don't try to defend what is happening because you will never understand it. No. And another thing, you know, when we were talking about just having conversations with people, you know, even just because I think... For me, it happened, you know, years ago where you finally stop ignoring something, Um, you know, with law enforcement and systemic racism. It was probably back in 2015, 2016. 
And up to that point, I was like, well, you know, admittedly, I was like a lot of people right now. I was like, well, you know, I don't understand, blah, blah, blah. Is this really that big of a deal? Is that, you know, whatever it was. But the most important thing that I did from that point was I finally, like, accepted. I was like, okay, they're screaming about this. A lot of them are screaming about this. It's not like, you know, one person's coming out and saying, cops are bad, you know, the system needs reformed. No, it's the masses. So if these people who have this experience are screaming at you, telling you that there's a problem, is it really going to hurt you to listen? Like, what are you going to... What is it going to cost you to sit there and have a conversation with them? Say... Okay, I hear you, so tell me about it. Tell me about your experience. Instead of saying, this doesn't happen, that doesn't happen, <laughs> they're making this up, because you're not an authority on someone else's experience. None of us are. So why don't you go straight to the source? That's step one, I think. Just go straight to the source and ask. Be like, what's your experience like? Because, I mean, you know, if, people, if enough people are screaming about this and telling you it's a problem, just listen. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right about their own experience, Dale. <laughs> good dale drop yeah well i think one of the most important things to remember and everyone the people who are defending the cops are saying like oh it's just a few bad apples and it's like well you have to remember the entire idiom which is a few bad apples spoils the whole bunch because that's exactly mm -hmm. what happened with um with george floyd is that he he was he was literally being murdered in front of the eyes of three other cops and they can sit there and say, well, I didn't murder him. And it's like, well, you didn't stop it either. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's why I get, I get so just, I, I get so upset with the few bad apples that people keep throwing around because it's like, you're not using the whole phrase. You're right. not, you know, you're not understanding the point of the quote unquote few bad apples. Right. A hundred percent of the cops at the scene did did nothing. They complied with exactly what was happening, and that to me is a it's screaming at us, saying this is a problem. If a hundred percent of the cops there did not stop this, what are we even doing? Yeah, I I shared on Twitter over the weekend. Um, Layla, my daughter, actually asked me about this, um, and. First of all, people were questioning if this actually happened, but let me just let me just of course start off with I was putting my daughter to bed and we had we always watched nightly news um, at six thirty and I was saying our prayers like we typically do every night and I had said a prayer for George Floyd, black community, Americans, the officers that committed this crime because Lord knows they need prayers too to be better people. And my daughter asked me, you know, who's George Floyd? And I said to her, I said, oh, um, he was a black man that got hurt very badly this week and he died. And she said to me, she's like, mommy, was it the guy, the man with the knee on his neck? And I almost passed out. Oh my gosh. I, I could not believe that she was watching intently or even taking away what was going on. And I said, you know, to myself I'm thinking okay like this is a teaching moment you know she's six mm -hmm. but she's 
she's watching and she's paying attention. And I know this is heavy stuff as a six-year-old to try to process, but sure. I'm going to try and I'm going to see how she responds and I'm going to let her ask me questions. So I said, yes, that is the man. And she said, well, what happened? And so then I explained to her what happened. I explained to her how it was wrong. And I said, he, he said to the police officer, he couldn't breathe. And, you know, this is, this is a girl who is learning in school that police officers are there to protect you. They're there to serve you. Mm-hmm. They're there to help you. And I had to explain to her, like, yes, that is the job of most police officers. But unfortunately, like, not, there are some bad ones out there. Just like anything else. You know, there, there's going to be good and bad. And it's recognizing the difference between the two. And I told her that. George said he couldn't breathe. And she said, well, mommy, why didn't anybody help him? And I had to pull myself together because that was the question that I also found myself asking. Like, this six-year-old has a really, really good point. I don't actually have an answer for her. So I had to say to her, you know, they should have helped. Like, the people that were around that didn't help him. Mm-hmm. They should have. I said, and if you are in a situation where you see something wrong, I need you to know that you have to stand up for what is right and you have to speak out. And she just looked at me and she nodded and she's like, okay, mommy, I know mommy. I will, you know, and so, so we've continued to have these conversations and I ended up uh, that evening ordering her a book about racism. Um, it's a kid's book and we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk through and it's going to be uncomfortable and she doesn't quite understand everything that's going on, um, but I'm going to do everything that I can as a parent to just make sure that my kids aren't blind. Um, I want her to see color, and I want her to understand that we all have differences, and that's okay. But mm-hmm. ignoring it isn't going to solve any problems. No, absolutely. What, what I've realized is it's actually easier to talk to children about this stuff <laughs> than it is to try to talk to adults about it because... Some of the conversations I've had with adults are just, you know, not getting anywhere. And obviously they've, they're already conditioned with these thoughts and there's no changing them and it's fighting an uphill battle and it's discouraging. And, And I sit here and think as a white woman, how frustrating and exhausting these conversations are. And that's not even you know the I can't even complain about that because I'm not even the one who has to experience and live that type of you know that type of life and these types of experiences so mm-hmm. I'm just trying to keep things into perspective and and do the best I can to to research and read and learn um and really just digest all this information so that I I can be the best ally Okay, so I think one of the most noble things that any human can do is, and this is something that people are like really struggling with, I think they're starting to see that there's a big problem here, but they've dug themselves so far into a specific stance that it's hard to like come out of it. So when I talk about, you know, something, it's never too late to learn things. There is absolutely no shame in saying, hey, you know what, maybe I was wrong about this before. Maybe, you know, there is something bigger that I didn't consider. Maybe I'm not an expert here and I can learn from someone else. There is absolutely no shame in doing that. And like as 
people. We should be doing that all the time about everything. We should always want to learn new things. Like, you don't reach a certain age where you're just like, all right, now I'm the expert on life and I could just quit and <laughs> tell mean, everyone else exactly. You A lot of people think that way, um, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> but, um, you know, when it comes to this issue specifically, like I was saying earlier, you got to have conversations with people. You got to talk. You got to listen to understand. Don't just listen to argue and be right all the time. It's not, you don't get better by that. Yeah, and I think it's important for us as white people to reach out to black people and listen to their experiences and open up our ears and open up our minds to what they have to say because they have been saying this forever. Like if mm -hmm. you listen to, you know, to Tupac, to NWA, to even Michael Jackson, all of these black artists have been saying in their art for ages that this has been something that's been happening and you know white people just blindly sing along and they're like oh this is a great song i love this song and it doesn't really ever sink in like art imitates life like there's mm -hmm. a reason that you know that tupac was singing these songs there's a reason that nwa were coming out with these songs that were anti-police like there's a reason for it and so you know i think that's you know also in conjunction with the step one Brittany, that you mentioned earlier that's the important part is to not just hear what the black community is saying, but to open up your mind and to internalize what they're saying, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's, I, I mean, it, to me, that's, that's the starting point um, because there's never going to be change if we don't know what needs to be changed. Meredith, I think you also touched on a really good point and I just wanted to bring this up because this is something that I learned over the last few weeks and it, it the key word here is listen mm -hmm. and and you said that you said listen open up our ears open up our eyes and I'm trying to do a better job about that because it's not up to a black person to give me all of the answers it is my duty mm -hmm. as a white person to seek out content to seek out um, groups that are happening to talk about anti-racism and how I can be a better ally it's digesting podcasts, reading books, um, supporting Black-owned businesses, donating to worthy causes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not up to them to tell us everything that we need to do. So I think that's really checking our white privilege um, at the door and, and seeking out these things on our own. And hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, we're able to provide you with some of that information today. And that's, that's really our goal in all of this, is really to just share what we've learned and what, what what we've been doing and hopefully someone will take this podcast away and and seek out and do the same thing and uh we'll have some guests join the show later too where you'll you'll learn about a couple of more things that we hope help um and and i saw a really good tweet today about white privilege and i did i did want to touch on that i'm sorry i didn't put this in the rundown but um i think that is a term that as a white person you may have in the past taken offense to that um, and I saw a really good post from um, a white woman on Twitter today who is actually married to, I think she's married to a former NFL player, um, African-American player. And I just want to just read this verbatim because I actually thought she did a really good job explaining what white privilege is. Um, so if you guys don't mind. Sure. So as a white person, you have white privilege, period. You cannot control that you're white just as you cannot control that you have white privilege. Us as white people being told that we have white privilege often makes us uncomfortable because we are not used to being defined or described by our race. White privilege doesn't mean your life hasn't been hard. It means that your skin color isn't one of the things making it harder. 
-hmm. Having white privilege doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a white person who was born into a country where systematic oppression exists. Being told you have white privilege is not an insult. Having white privilege and recognizing it does not make you a racist. Having white privilege doesn't make you a racist. Being racist makes you a racist. Mm -hmm. So I love, because she also then added a footnote, no one can control their skin color. None of us need to apologize for it. Mm -hmm. It's not, it can't be any more clear than that. And she is, um, her, her handle is at Mrs. Wad 74. Um, so I, I, I sent her a message and was like, wow, this was really, really impactful to me. And I, I felt like she summed up, um, everything into perspective because I think in the past, like if you're, if you're told to check your privilege, it's almost like an insult. And I think she pretty much, much hit the nail on the head there about what it actually means. Yeah. No, that was awesome. Like, that was it. And I, you know, like you said, I think a lot of times what over, you know, the past couple of decades or, you know, whatever, one of the things that has turned people off is, you know, they don't want to have these conversations because they don't want to feel guilty. Like, that's, that's at the base of it. They don't want to feel bad. They don't want to feel like this is their fault. Um, but like... Also, I want to say, I think the a lot of the people who take offense to the term white privilege I think they feel like it diminishes their accomplishments so mm-hmm. if you are someone who studied really hard in in high school and got a perfect 4.0 GPA and a perfect score on the SATs and went to an Ivy League school and worked your ass off and you know dedicated hours of your time to getting a degree and then getting a job where you're working hard in your field like there at no point in your life were you necessarily handed anything but when you're told white privilege, it's all of a sudden they take it as I didn't work hard for what I earned. And that's not it. And I think that's where a lot of that sort of insult comes from. And that's why I like that tweet that you shared, Brie, because, you know, it's absolutely true. Like, you know, yes, you as a white person who went to Harvard or went to Princeton or, you know, even let's say Ohio State, you went to Ohio State, you got a degree and you're working hard in your field and making a career for yourself. You know, just because you're white doesn't mean you didn't work hard. It just means that the color of your skin never held you back. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. No, and um, <clears throat> to talk about white privilege, I didn't put this in there, but I just thought about it. And it's like a, it's a story, guys. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's go. So my brother, he's a locksmith. And this was last October. Now, like being a locksmith kind of just, inherently dangerous yeah. um he has to go into a lot of you know places that aren't safe he, you know he has stories and stories and stories but last year he was in this um it was like a, i think it was a white neighborhood and he was trying to unlock the front door and the neighbor across the street called the cops on him uh they thought he was you know trying to break in because he didn't have like a van or anything he just he was wearing like you know, hoodie, whatever. Um, and as he was trying to unlock it, the cops came and there were, number one, I have a lot of problems with this whole thing. Number one, four cops showed up. (laughs) They told him to get on the ground and put his, you know, hands behind his back, whatever, which he did, he complied. They pointed, all four of them pointed their guns at him. Why did they have to do that? Like, he was laying on the ground, yeah. and he's yelling at them. He's like, I'm a locksmith. I'm a locksmith. I'm trying to help someone. 
Right, with no they, weapon. They, he was on the ground with his hands behind his back, and they had four guns pointed at him. And one of my first react when he told me this, because he, he called me afterwards, and he was, like, you know, very upset about this. One of my first thoughts was, had he been black, he wouldn't be alive no. to tell me this story right now. Yeah. And how sad is that? Yeah. Yep. That, I mean, I know it. I was like, my God. And it, God forbid he, like, sneezed or something, by right. the way. Right. If he made any sudden movements in that moment, he would have been dead. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff um, going around about, like, on, on Instagram videos I've seen. Um, there's there's some powerful stuff that you can look into, too, where it it was a five-minute video of, parents having discussions with their children about what to do if they have a run-in with the police and Mm -hmm. these kids are I mean my daughter's age you know these discussions that black parents are having having to have with their children to to keep them alive and like that that is not a conversation I will have to have with my kids like that yes that tells you everything yes um guys I have a couple of beefs I wanted to get to um that, that all kind of correlate back to what we're what our discussion is, what we're talking about. So it's Tuesday. Mm-hmm. We record on Tuesday nights. And today happened to be Blackout Tuesday. Um, social media movement. You probably saw it if you were on Instagram at all today or even Twitter. And everyone was posting just blank, black um, picture on their Instagram post to just essentially be on mute from a personal life perspective, but to raise awareness um, of everything that's been going on. And I had a couple of people that I saw post in support of this. And what really bothered me about the whole thing was I want to, I, I call them frauds, the frauds on Facebook who <laughs> are participating in this movement. Um, they're posting memes, um, pictures that have been circulating that everyone's sharing. But the only thing that I saw them post outside of this are like the feel good stories. So, like, for instance, you know, they're posting these pictures of, like, you know, the the hands, all the hands that are holding each other, and they're all different skin colors. The Blackout Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then, like, all of the news articles that they're sharing are the stories about police kneeling in protest with the protesters. There was no discussion or conversation regarding the actual murder of George Floyd. No mm-hmm. conversation about racism, no education. And in my opinion, like this actually just deflects from the movement and what's actually happening out there. And so what I just want to say to everyone is I don't have all the answers. We've already identified that. But what I've seen is it's going to take work. It's going to take more than just posting on social media. Mm-hmm. And what I want to say to everyone is let's get to work. Don't just post the feel good stories. Donate mm-hmm. if you can. Join a protest, volunteer, share um, articles, share things that people can do if they can't donate money. Because not everyone can donate money. But what mm. what can be shared to just continue to bring awareness to this and not just the feel-good stories? So all of you frauds on Facebook, you're annoying. <laughs> frauds on Facebook. Yeah, on or Facebook. have a, have a conversation, better. guys. Do just better. Just talk to people. Yeah, that I mean... It costs nothing. I know. Because they're... Cause, the, really what it comes down to is that the entire police force across the country needs to be completely reformed. Uh, unions need to be re- reorganized and 
you know, there needs to be, in my opinion, I think there needs to be more stringent uh, requirements to become a cop. Because if you look at, say, a lawyer, they have to spend X number of years in law school and then they have to pass a bar. And if they do something that shames their profession, they get disbarred. And same thing in the medical community. You spend eight plus years in med school. And if you mess up as a mm -hmm. doctor or a nurse or whatever field you're in, you lose your medical license. And that's the way yeah. it should be for cops. Like you, it needs to be more than an eight week training program. Like mm -hmm. I think that there needs to be much more stringent requirements for police officers. And if they do something to shame the profession, like say kneeling on a guy's neck and murdering him in cold blood, you should not be able to be a police officer ever again. No. Well, I mean, for cold-blooded murder, you should also go to jail. But <laughs> just in general, if you're doing something that shames your profession, yes. you know, lose your cop license or, or whatever it is. You lose your badge, you don't get it again. Because I think that was another thing that people are really angry about when you look at Sandra Bland or Tamir Rice or Trayvon Martin or, or Freddie Gray or all of, all of these black people that were murdered in cold blood is these cops got off scot-free and a lot of them are working again. Mm -hmm. So you had these cops that shot Sandra Bland in cold blood and they're still working. Like why, why are they still on the force when they murdered somebody, you know? So I think that's sort of what it really needs, what really needs to happen. So you can say not every cop is bad because no, not every cop is bad, but you know, if you reform the whole system, it's going to ensure that you don't have those few bad apples that spoils the whole bunch. Yeah. Yeah. I, guys, I think there's one more beef we have to talk about. And Brittany, I want you to mm -hmm. share because you were part of the cleanup crew. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, like, why? I just, I don't even know what to say other than <laughs> why? Why? Why did cleaning up Cleveland have to become controversial? Probably because I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. God, Brittany, you just oh ruin gosh. everything, don't you? I know. Just by existing. God, no. Uh, First of all, don't ever feel that way. We no, need, we need your existence. So here's what happened. <laughs> Story time. Um. So Hayden Grove, who's literally like one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. Yes. Um. He organized this cleanup for Sunday morning after uh, the protests, and it wasn't. He organized this cleanup. And I saw it and I was like, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to show up and help them clean up because it was destroyed. I mean, there was a, a considerable amount of damage. So, you know, I went up there early Sunday morning. Uh, we met outside Progressive Field at nine. There was probably, I mean, it was a pretty good crowd, probably um, at least like 30, 40 people in this one group. And, you know, there were also like separate groups throughout this, throughout downtown, just cleaning up and scrubbing and you know sweeping and everything um and then yesterday uh cleveland scene came out with this story about how it made them feel uncomfortable that people were <laughs> i'm like i'm like yeah, i can't all i know lie. like it's so absurd to even talk about this it's well, so it absurd was, it was the headline the headline said the people of cleveland love their t-shirts more than they love people or something i on that's the first time i ever heard the headline because i didn't read it i just saw a little snippet of it and i was like all right I, <sighs> yeah i read the whole thing i saw the headline and i clicked on it because i was morbidly curious oh my and God. it 
I can't, I could not even believe when I read that yesterday. I was like, what is this? And it was somebody that I follow and, you know, he quote tweeted it and he was like, um, I was trying to think of why it made me feel uncomfortable that people were cleaning up and, um, so let me just make one thing clear. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because it's ridiculous. Um, the people that were there, it, there was nothing about it that was, you know, there were no news cameras there. It wasn't like everyone was just doing this for show. Um, you know, it was just random people that showed up to do some good. That's it. Um, secondly, there were no complaints about any of it. It wasn't like we were sitting there like, oh man, guys, they, they really did a number here. Those, you know, darn protesters. There was no, there was no complaining at all. We just showed up with, you know, cleaning supplies and, and got to work. Um, I talked to a few business owners. I talked to the owner of, uh, Rebar, talked to the owner of the Winking Lizard and, uh, what was the other one? Somewhere else. Um, not once and you know they have every right to their their places are destroyed not one of them mentioned anything about how it happened or they didn't place blame on anyone all they did was say thank you for coming to help us clean up so this idea that you know we were all just there bitching about protesters and you know we love t-shirts more than people i guess i don't know like <laughs> it's amazing to me because I have people coming after me again because somehow me going to clean up showed that I didn't care about black people. That's what, in this world, in 2020, the world that we're living in right now, that's what that meant. And, you know, the person who tweeted, he said, well, you you guys made it sound like it had to, it was something that needed to be cleaned up. And I'm like, uh, yeah, because it fucking was. Like, there was glass <laughs> everywhere, idiots. Of course it needed cleaned up. And it's okay to say it needs cleaned up. You can fully support everything that they did and fully support their anger and everything and still want to clean up your city. You, it doesn't make you a bad person to... All of it is just... I I wanted to lose my shit yesterday. So I was like, I can't... Everything I... Everything is wrong and everything you do makes everyone mad so you know what well and everything is going to have to be cleaned up so one of the things that i absolutely love about cleveland and this is something very unique to this city and i've never seen it um in any of the other cities that i've lived and worked in is that we have the downtown cleveland alliance mm -hmm. and it is an organization that serves people who live work and you know just hang out in cleveland so at night, if I'm uncomfortable going to my car by myself, there's a 24-hour phone number where I can call the Downtown Cleveland Alliance and I'll get a, an escort to my car. Or the Downtown Cleveland Alliance also cleans up the litter. You know, before quarantine, stay-at-home order, shelter-in-place orders happened, every single day I would see someone in a Downtown Cleveland Alliance coat, t-shirt, whatever, sweeping up glass, mm -hmm. sweeping up litter, because that's just what happens in, you know, in a city. People throw their cigarette butts on the ground. People throw their beer bottles on the ground. Like, you know, trash yeah. sometimes blows out of a trash can. So they've got this alliance. It's cleaning up the city. It's just something that has to be done. But they probably did not have the manpower to clean up everything that happened in Cleveland on Saturday night. Like, you guys got everything cleaned up between 9 a.m. and noon? 
three hours and you got the entire city cleaned up. That's incredible. Like if if we had left it to just the downtown Cleveland Alliance, it would have taken them days to clean it up. So it's just just showing love and support and and helping your city. And it doesn't mean that you are mad about the rioting or the looting. It, it just it just means that you saw what happened and said, OK, this is something that needs to be done. And so I'm going to go do it. Right. And it's just that simple. If somebody, <laughs> I don't know why people have to ruin everything. You know, we're living in such a like awful time that like this little tiny bit of, you know, people coming together for even if it's just three hours to do something. Like, why does that have to be blown up into this? Well, you know, you made it sound like something that needed to be cleaned up. Well, yeah, it was. It was very destructive. Do you want to roll around in glass? Yeah. Because I don't. Yeah. If like, here's the thing, like, say, you know, say you get a rock thrown through your window, like you're in your residential neighborhood and let's say you're not targeted. Maybe something happens. Maybe a work truck comes by and their, their materials aren't secure. Something falls out. It, you know, hits either your car windshield or your house window, something like that. Are you just going to sit there and say, well, I'm not going to clean that up because blah, 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 blah. Like, no, it's, it's fucking right. glass. You need to clean it up. Yes. Like, you're not, like, if something happens in your home, you're not just going to sit there. I mean, some people do, I guess, but you're not just going to leave the mess. Right. Like, my know? cat knocks over a glass and it busts. Like, I'm not going to hate my cat. Just yeah. pick up the glass. Like, it's <laughs> not, it's, it's so simple. Something needs to be done, so you go do it. It's not like... And again, I want to make it very clear that nobody there was complaining about anything. It wasn't like, you know, we felt like we're here to clean up a mess. That's not... It was just something that needed to be done, so you show up and do it. And then you go home and it's done. It could have just been done. Because again, there were no news cameras. There was nothing. There was no media. There were just people doing stuff. And then, of course, you know, the... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna insult them. I just mean, forget it. <laughs> I mean, it just it just it just feels like people people are looking for a reason to be angry and not about the right things. Like, right. We need to be angry that black people are being murdered. We need to be angry at police brutality, and we yes. are. And instead, they're being mad at thirty or forty people going and cleaning up glass. Yes. Like, like that's this a, is that's exactly what you're rallying against. Like you're writing this article saying, "Oh, these people don't like th- like this was such a gross display of blah blah blah." Well, yeah, like you're, the fact that you're saying that is literally what you're like. You're you just you you are your headline. Yes, it, that was just that was the most ridiculous thing I saw, and you know I felt bad because Hayden messaged me and he felt bad about it, and I was like, "Hayden, there's nothing to feel bad about. You didn't do anything." Like, all you did was organize a group to get together and, you know, go clean. Shame on them for making you feel like that was a bad thing. Shame on them. Yeah, it was the most counterproductive thing I saw on the internet. God. I'm almost, like, mad at myself for clicking on it because then they get the clicks, but whatever. Oh, I'm glad that you told us the headline because I didn't even know that. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you for that. that (laughs) Because I care more about t-shirts than people. So that's cool. (laughs) Good God. Oh. Ladies. Well, you guys have anything else you want to add before we get into our interviews for the evening? I mean, 
I don't know if you wanted to hear about my experience with the police. The oh, yes. Days. You have to share. Yes. Oh, my God. Because none of us can get into Cleveland. So you yes. have to tell us what's going on. Oh, my God. It is. So we had a curfew enacted uh, 8 p.m. on Saturday night. And it was set to go, I guess, until 8 p.m. Sunday morning. And then they initially said, again, 8 p.m. Sunday night into 8 a.m. Monday morning. And then sometime Sunday morning, they said, no, the curfew is going to start at noon. And then sometime later, they said, okay, no, now the curfew is going to be extended 24 hours a day through, you know, Tuesday at 8 p.m. And they've extended the curfew again. So there are now blockades all around the city. Um, Every exit off the highway is blocked. Um, You can get into downtown through some side streets, but it it takes some real knowledge of, of Cleveland to know where these side streets are. Um, first off. So I've had to take a different route in and out of work every single day because when I find an open road to get to work, the next day it's closed. Um, and yeah, it's there. I like, I don't know what better word to describe it other than checkpoints. And I was explaining it to you guys. To me, it felt like, you know, driving around the East Bank of Jerusalem. Like it is, there are military vehicles. That is we horrifying. Had, yeah, we had the National Guard was outside my office building. Um, every block has multiple police officers sometimes three or four um and it is it's scary and my dad made a comment of like oh at least it's safe and it's like no dad i don't feel safe like there's no citizens in downtown cleveland right now it's literally nothing but police and i don't feel safe so my experiences in getting downtown yesterday it was a little um, monday it was a little bit easier um i drove up to a checkpoint i explained to the police officer i was like hey i'm i'm media I'm going into work. He said, do you have any credentials? And so I showed him uh, a credential. So I have a letter from Homeland Security and I have <laughs> I have a Browns press pass because that's like literally the only form of media credential that I have at the moment. Um, because for radio stations, we don't really get press passes the way um, a, a reporter for a TV station or a reporter for a newspaper does. So I had that. I showed it to him. You know, he let me go and, you know, things were fine. Um, that day, one of my coworkers got stopped by the National Guard. He got questioned, patted down, and his bag was searched. Um, so that was Monday. And then Tuesday, today, um, <laughs> so I'm driving into downtown. The road that I took Monday was now closed completely. I couldn't get through it. So I drove through a few of the side streets, and then I finally found um, a, a street that was literally just the road closed sign and two police officers. So I drove up. And I said, hey, you know, sir, can I drive down this road? He said, no, it's closed. And I was like, well, I do need to go to work. My office is on this street. And he was like, well, I'm sorry, the road is closed. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm media and I, I need to get to work. He's like, okay, do you, have, do you have credentials? So I gave him my letter from Homeland Security. He's like, I need some kind of ID. I gave him my Browns press pass. He looked at it and he goes, the Browns? <laughs> and then starts laughing so hard he starts crying and then lets me through um i wound up staying late at work today because uh someone on the show after me almost got arrested um so he you know is doing the same thing he's driving into downtown and he stops at a checkpoint and explains you know i need to travel on this road for work my office is on this building and the police officer said no you can't go and he's like well he's like i'm i'm media i have a credential can i can i show you the cop pulls him out of the car, like pushes him up against the car, puts his hands behind his back and starts pulling out the handcuffs. And 
and then my coworker is saying, what's happening? What are you doing? Why am I, am I being arrested? Why am I being arrested? This cop isn't saying anything. He's not reading Miranda rights. He's not talking. He's just pulling my coworker out of the car, pushing him up and starting to handcuff him. And then another cop on the scene comes up and says, what's happening here? And I guess the officer said, you know, and he said, why is this man being arrested? And the, and my coworker looked at him and said, I'm just trying to go to work. And so then the second cop looks at his letter from Homeland Security, looks at his credentials and says, let him go. And he came into work. He was physically shaking. Like he was so shaken up. And he was like, he's like, I just, he was like, I felt so helpless. I didn't know what to do. He's like, I couldn't, they didn't tell me why they were going to arrest me. They didn't say anything. They just pulled me out of my car. And if that second cop hadn't been there, he would have been in jail for, for what? We don't know. So, you know, and now these curfews are extended through the rest of the week. And it's just like, and I saw the mayor's quote today of something like, we're going to keep extending the curfew until we're, you know, certain that people feel safe. And I was like, I felt safer in Cleveland last week than I did. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I felt, I mean, I felt safer before they rolled the tanks in. Yeah. Yeah. Like I felt safer in downtown Cleveland when homeless people were, you know, approaching me and begging me for food and money. You know, I felt safer in downtown Cleveland when at one o'clock in the morning, a a guy approached me and asked me if he could quote unquote, borrow my phone. Mm. No, sir, you cannot borrow my phone. You create, I'm not going to hand my phone to a stranger at one o'clock in the morning. But yeah, like I was like, I don't feel safe. Like we're not safe. It almost feels like these cops are looking for a fight. Like they're, like they're the angry people on Twitter that are looking for a reason to be angry. And it's like, you know, we're not your enemy. You should not be our enemy. So stop acting like it. That's it. Yes. So I just <sighs> I had to get that off my chest because like I just like my experiences, you know, weren't horrible like this morning being laughed at for showing my browns credential was first of all what did he think you were gonna pull out like you're in cleveland (laughs) yeah so i mean i don't know like it was just it was it was ridiculous but then today i wound up staying late because you know one of my coworkers almost got arrested and it was you know and i was just like what are what are they doing like what in the world are they doing you ladies ready to get into some interviews Yes. I'm oh ready. All right. Yes. Let's do it. In our newest segment of That's What B Said, we wanted to spotlight and highlight some local Black-owned businesses in the area, and we are thrilled to have our first guest join us tonight. We are welcoming Ben Donlow, who is the CEO and founder of Diesel Donlow Company, also an actor, model, and motivational speaker. He also hails from Youngstown, Ohio. Shout out 330. You can find Ben on Instagram at at Diesel Donlow Company. Hello, Ben. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. We are so happy to chat with you tonight. And I, I have to start with this. You have a very, very interesting background. So when you sent me some tidbits about yourself, I literally was like, oh, my gosh, an actor. You have to talk about the shows you've been on. <laughs> yes, a model. Um, you own your own clothing company motivational speaker you're going for your doctorate degree so can you walk us through all of those things and how your company came about uh, my company just came about um in around 2014 i knew that i had something to do you know to offer to people and uh i just kept asking you know god you know just what can i do what can i do you know to uh help people or inspire people so uh, on my journey i started with personal training and uh i used to be a trainer I still kind of train people, but not, 
maybe not physical training, but more uh, mindset training now. Okay. And uh, I ended up getting my degree in exercise science, my master's degree in exercise science and kinesiology at uh, University of California, Pennsylvania. Um, I was studying abroad as well before I even like did all like the acting and all that. I was studying abroad in the country, Chile. And, uh, you know, I just, I was like, oh, when I get home, I'm going to be, become an actor. You know, I'm going to, you know, become an actor. So my first show I ever did was a show called Banshee. I don't know if you guys heard of that, but it was a, a show called Banshee. And uh, I was just a background player. And um, you know, I was on set. And one of these young ladies came up to me and said, hey, you know, I think you're going to, you know, be a, become an actor, or, you know, do this more than I am. Here's some information, you know, to help you on your way. So she gave me, you know, more information on, you know, how to become an actor and how to get on more sets and more gigs and, you know, and it took off from there. That's awesome. So what, how, what was your next show? I think I saw you had, you were on Empire. Is that correct? Yeah, I was on Empire. Oh, the crazy thing about Empire is that I turned it down like three or four times because uh, I, I was in, I was doing other obligations. I was filming other movies and uh, TV shows. So I was in um, a small place called Manistee, Michigan. It's like near like going towards like the upper peninsula of Michigan. And I was I filming a commercial there and a young lady came to me that I was working with on set. Another lady. It seems like ladies like tell me all the information by the way, but <laughs> lady, the ladies love you. <laughs> but, you know, she told me that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I'm not going to answer that or say anything but uh, I appreciate them helping me. And uh, a lady came to me and to my friends, she said, you guys need to be on Empire. I was like, what? Like, I never thought about being on Empire at all. So I submitted my information and they got back to me right away and they said, hey, can you come down for audition? And I was like, no, I can't come down because I'm doing, uh, I was doing another show the next day in Cleveland for, you guys ever heard of Samantha B? Full Frontal? Yes. 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 Yeah. That, I was. Uh, that's the show. I was. Uh, uh, I was supposed to be on the next day, so I had to turn down Empire to go to Samantha Bees, and uh, that was the right decision because uh, that was my first. Uh, um, that was my first union uh, job that I did. You know, in, in the acting game, it's uh, you want to get your SAG card. If you guys ever heard of that, you want to get mm -hmm. your union card, and that was my first show that I did you know, something on and it got my first voucher for me being union. So me turning out empire eventually uh, it led me to get my first, you know, union voucher. So uh, that's how that came about. That's like a little back, back history. And that's they actually of... shot that in Cleveland. It was in Cleveland too, by the way. Wow. Oh my gosh. So wait, did you get to meet cookie? All right. So to that story. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to finish it, but I didn't want to like go on forever, you know, telling it. I didn't want to like, you know, I wanted to uh, break it up a little bit, but uh, I get on, I get, I do Empire uh, a few weeks later after the third time they called me, I drove up like, I still, I'm still living. So I drove from here to Chicago, that's where they filmed Empire. And, and uh, actually Empire's done filming now, but when they used to film in Chicago, so I drove. I had to be on set around like 5 a.m., 5:30 Chicago's oh time. Yeah. Oh my God. So I had to drive all the way up there from here, and uh, <clears throat> I get on set, and then I'm like, okay, I must belong here. 
because I see Empire, like Empire has stuff all over the studios in Chicago. Mm. And uh, yes, I met Cookie that day. <laughs> Cookie. <laughs> she was she was like the entire reason I used to watch that. Like I was in love with it for the first, um, I'd say like two seasons maybe. And then it was one of those things where I just like forgot that it was on and I just never went back to it. And there was no reason why. It was like every, I think it was Tuesday nights it was on. Every Tuesday night, me and my sister were calling each other like, oh, are you ready for tonight? But then, I don't know. But Cookie, man. I love her. She's a great actress. She's a great actress. Sorry, actress. You yes. know, she's, uh, yes. she's phenomenal on set. She's like so, you know, down to earth and she's so uh, humble and, you know, she shows a lot of gratitude and, you know, her story is amazing. And I didn't really get a chance to like talk to her, you know, in detail, but you know, we worked together and it was great to learn from, you know, a great uh, female actress. And, oh, yeah. you know, she's one of the ones that, uh, you know, paved the way for many people. So. Absolutely. She's incredible. Uh, so you said you still live in Youngstown? Well, at the time I was doing Empire right now. Right now? Right now. Yes, I do. Oh, Bree, he's one of us. He's one of us. I know. <laughs> We have to stick together. Ben, can you, can you talk a little bit about your company, what you sell, what you have to offer? If you want to plug your site um, or any of the product you are selling, we'd love to hear more about that and how, I mean, you, you just talked about how you were an actor. So what, how did you come to, to do clothing? So uh, when I started training people uh, back in 2015, uh, I made uh, shirts for my clients. Uh, one of my clients was like, hey, you know, if you make shirts, I'll wear it. I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. So, all right. That was like, okay. Well, and also I wanted to do it anyway, because one of my muses that I was watching, he had his own clothing line. So I was kind of inspired by that. But when my train, now when I was training some people, you know, and they mentioned that, I was like, oh, I got to do it now. So when I, um, you guys know where Trolios is in Poland, like the screen printing place. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that, but no. it's a screen no. Yeah, it's a screenplay, you know, a place that did shirts there. Yeah. And I just went into the shop and said, hey, I want to make, you know, 50 shirts of this. And that was like my first, like, you know, my first shirt was, it said strong as an African rhino. <laughs> People really want that shirt still. I'm like, why do you guys want that? It was like so basic. You know, but like, okay, like, if you want me to make it, I figure it out. You know, I make it again, but. That was my first shirt. It was strong as African Rhino, and I had my logo, and it was like a muscle person up there. And then my second shirt, I was in Chile, and I ordered them. Uh, ordered them so when I got home from studying abroad, they'd be ready. And my second shirt was uh, uh, bigger fish to fry, and I was holding fish in my hand and squeezing it. You know how that saying, "Got yeah. bigger fish to fry." Mm-hmm. You know, so and then uh, you know eventually I was like, "Hey man, I gotta get serious with this." So. I started, you know, contacting people to help me make shirts. And then, um, you know, I was going through different companies. And then I was like, man, I got to do this myself because it's just taking too long for people to do, you know, what I want to do. And, you know, um, I met some people that, you know, helped me on that. And then eventually I started making my own, you know, stuff and, and, and making it for other people as well. You know, be, be, uh, being that gap of helping people who don't have a lot of money, you know, these people out here charge a lot of money to make shirts. I wanted to be that gap and helping people grow and making shirts and making it affordable, as affordable as I could, so I could help people as well. So it just grew, grew like wildfire, you know. 
So do you have um, do you have like an online store or a brick and mortar store where you're still selling these shirts or where can people yes. find them? Yes. If you want to uh, purchase any shirt, you go on www.dieseldonald.shop and, you know, you'll find that I have collaborations on there as well that I collab with people. And then, you know, you'll see our, you know, classic collection where you have you know, our gear and, you know, throwback logos. And then I just launched a new logo, by the way which I worked with a guy out of uh, Paris, France. And, you know, we, we, uh, we worked on this new logo, which, you know, symbolized royalty and, you know, prestige. And I wanted to bring like a new like stamp on our name, you know? So our new logo that we made is, uh, it reveals like, you know, the royalty you know, having uh, like that European feel. I wanted something different. Yeah. Hey Ben, where does the diesel come from? Oh man, my cousin gonna be so happy I shouted him out. <laughs> uh, well, you guys know like um, Shaq, right? Yes. Yeah. They, they call him Diesel as well, mm -hmm. you know, because yes. on the court he was this strong. And my cousin, you know, he was big into Shaq, you know, during the uh, early 2000s. And I'm a big Kobe Bryant fan. You know, okay. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a big Kobe Bryant fan, and my Shaq was or Shaq was my cousin's, you know, favorite player. So. And my cousin, uh, he went to Liberty. His name is Chris Harrison, and he's like 6'6", 260 pounds. So they called oh him, gosh. you know, Diesel Shack, you know, Little Diesel Shack. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and me being a young, you know, young adolescent, young pup, I looked up to my cousin, and I wanted to, you know, he was a great role model. You know, he was uh, a great football player. So he, uh, you guys remember AIM? Oh, yeah. yes. Of oh, course. like Messenger? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had he had the name uh, Diesel Shack fifteen fifty four or eighteen fifty I don't remember the name but something like that. And in fourth grade, I created my character as Diesel Donlaw. I put I took his the Diesel out of that name and I put my last name Donlaw and uh, I created it, the character you guys know as Diesel Donlaw. That wait, so this oh, is this is actually your aim scream name. Yes, this has been that my name since fourth grade. Amazing. I actually love that. I mean, <laughs> 10 times better. Oh, I feel fourth grade. <laughs> I mean, he, made a, he made a business from his AIM name, guys. Yeah. That's He's incredible. A legend. We were talking you, you gotta to. make a shirt with the AIM guy running. Can you do that? I would buy that for sure. You, you said what? I said you got I feels like you need to make a shirt with the AIM guy. You know, like the little guy that was like running with your logo. Like, that's perfect. Oh, I, I definitely will. Now that you said that, I would definitely do that. There you go. Yes. All right, Ben. We're going to get you out of here pretty quickly, but I do want to end on this last question. Can you tell the people anything that you're working on in the future that they can expect? Oh, man. What else do you have up your sleeve? Uh, Singing? Singing? No, no, no. <laughs> Directing, well, writing, producing. Are you on TikTok? Uh... <laughs> Well, you know, no, not not like yet. I haven't figured out a way I was going to, you know, inspire people through there. If I'm going to be on something, I got to figure a way that I can, like, you know, inspire somebody or, you know, uplift somebody. So not not yet on TikTok. I think you that can. But, but would you say? I said, I think you can. Like, I Brie got me onto TikTok and I joined like two weeks ago. And I wouldn't say that I'm addicted. Oh, but I'm on it a lot. And there are people who get on there. Um, one of my favorite people that I followed recently is like a linguistics teacher. And she talks about like the etymology of words. 
And it's so cool. So it's more than just, you know, like fun dances or imitating other people, which is what my TikTok currently is. But um, but yeah, it, it is a platform where you can, you know, educate and, you know, find a passion, a subject that you're passionate about and talk about it. So um, you'll have to let us know when you get we'll have to follow Diesel Dunlow on TikTok. I mean, yeah. I'm on there now. I just haven't posted anything. But once, OK, but once I figure out a way that I can, like, like you said, find a way that I can make, you know, um, you know, I can make it your own. Yeah. Make it something I would do. But people I don't know if you guys knew that, but I have music out. I do have music. What? Oh, my gosh. Wow. He does it all. <laughs> oh, well, my. How do you have enough time in the day to do all of this stuff, Ben? Well, listen, listen, this is what it is. I just like, like I said, I have a producer that I was working with at the time. And he just said, Ben, you just motivate people. So let's just do it with music. So I was like, okay, let's, let's make some music, you know? And I just wanted to inspire people. So actually, you know, it's funny that people on TikTok are like inspired by my songs. They are dancing to it. So like, really? you guys can check that out. Yeah. Oh my so, God, that's amazing. Bree, yeah, this is your next dance video. This is 100%. I'm all in on this then. <laughs> okay. All right. So, 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 so I'm going to text you after this. So Bree's <laughs> going to do a dance using one of your songs. And then I'm going to take her video and duet with it. All right. You got to do it. I post it. I promise. Like, I will get all it right. out there. And I'll post you all on my social media for real. I will. All right. Well, listen, if you guys want to follow Ben, make sure you find him. He has a really huge Instagram following. He is at Diesel Donlow Company. It's at D I E S E L D O N L O W Company. Make sure you follow him. Check out his website, purchase his clothing. We'll be looking for that AIM shirt, Ben. All right. So I need you to get on that. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I got one more thing. Yes. Got, just, um, you said, did I have one more project, right? I just go wanted ahead. to go ahead. Yeah. Um, I am like producing people's like, so my thing is like, you know how record labels, uh, produce, uh, artists or singers or music people, whatever you want to call it. I took that same idea, same approach and put it into my clothing brand and clothing company. So now, you know, we helping people with their brands and helping people establish like, you know, their own, you know, Instagram or not Instagram. Oh my God. Their own like clothing and, you know, whatever they do, uh, we I just took the same thing that a record label did. And, you know, and I said, hey, let me try this this way with clothes. You know, so I awesome. want to like, eventually become like American Eagle, like or something like that. That's like one of my my goals. I like American Eagle and I like, you know, the way they have their swag and stuff like that. So that's a little bit of what I'm doing right now. So. All right. Well, we'll keep watching. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, take care. Get some sleep. Feels like you got you're doing too much. You need to go to sleep. Take get some <laughs> yeah. sleep, Ben. Right, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Thanks ben. ben. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. So our second guest of the evening, I'm very delighted to announce my sister, Haley Schaefer, is joining us. Haley is a junior high teacher in the area, um, a self-proclaimed bookworm, and also a mom. Uh, over the last week, I've been watching my sister in awe use her platform to educate beyond her classroom. Um, and although she teaches mostly 13 and 14 year olds, uh, a lot of what she is teaching these days is even more relevant to us adults. Haley, hello, welcome in. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hi everyone. Hi, I'm I'm excited to be here. This is my first podcast. Oh, wow, well, your teacher voice, your teacher voice turned on immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I have to respect uh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's definitely my teacher voice. So <laughs> many people will recognize it. Yes. Okay. So Haley, as a teacher, your job obviously is to shape young minds. Can you talk about 
what's been going on um, and what you've tackled from a race perspective in your classroom and furthermore, most recently with adults? Yeah, sure. So I, um, I was lucky enough to go to school at the University of Cincinnati and I taught my first four years there. And I truly believe that shaped, that began to shape me as a person. And that really opened my eyes into, you know, what being an anti-racist person was. And um, I had my eyes opened at the district I worked in. Um, I was a minority. It was majority African-American, but also other people of, of color. And so, you know, I came to the community I'm living in now and it was in culture shock because it's majority white. And so, you know, um, I recognized that students needed to have their eyes open, maybe to just diverse literature. So that was the first place I started coming into a district that was very conservative. You know, just have books in my classroom library that have brown people, that have black people, that have um, LGBTQIA characters in them. That was all, you know, a lot of that was new to my students. And so that was step one. Step two was starting to talk about world events in my room. So we do a lot of quick rates. I just give them time to respond. So we'll do, actually, I pull a lot of the Nike commercials. We did stuff with Colin Kaepernick and the kneeling. We did stuff with um, LeBron James and the NBA athletes when they wore the I Can't Breathe shirts. So I, w- I would show them news clips, I'd show them articles, and they would take time, respond to themselves, and then we might have a three to five minute discussion about it. And you, you have to let those discussions take place, otherwise they don't learn. And it's so scary to do as a public school teacher, I will say. And, you know, for too many years, I, I was afraid to do anything about it, but I just, I couldn't sit back any longer and pretend like the issue wasn't there. I was going to actually ask you, Haley, obviously I'm biased, but I think you are a fantastic teacher just in the sense of what you just said, because obviously there are probably people that are unhappy with even talking about those issues that are happening. And I like how you said I didn't want to hide from it and ignore it because, you know, your students are seeing it. The Internet exists. They all have social media. Um, They are forming opinions about things. And. I think it's great that you introduce it in a way of reading and, you know, segueing into reading. Um, you obviously love books. And I've noticed recently you've been sharing a lot of books um, that you've been recommending for white people to read um, that are must reads and to really learning about what anti-racism means and what we can do to be better. Can you share some of those books and where should we start? Oh, um, so there are a lot of phenomenal authors in what we call the kid lit world. So they're known for writing young adult literature or even middle grade literature. But what I've found is those books also need to be read by adults. And so a couple of fiction resources that I would definitely start with, if you have kids, if you're a teacher, if you have students, relatives, 12 or older, Jason Reynolds, is, um, and you might have seen him, who's actually on Hoda and Jenna today talking about this, but Jason Reynolds is the go-to author 
to start with. And one of the things I like about him is he not only has tackled um, racism issues in his books, but he also makes sure he finds books or he amplifies books that also feature black joy. Because one of the things I was, I will say being transparent, that I was guilty of um, before I started learning what I've learned is, you know, I would look for those books that, you know, there was black trauma in it. And so every, everything I was reading, it, it was good and it was diverse and I thought I was doing a good job, but the more I read, the more I realized, well, you know, I was perpetuating the stereotype that, you know, if you're black, that you have a hard life, you come from a divorced family, you're living in poverty. Um, and so I've really tried over the past two or three years to seek out authors that write about black kids who are, who are just being kids. And so um, Lamar Giles is an author. I have a nine-year-old and um, he wrote, he's written a lot of books, but he has one called The Last Last Days of Summer. And it's just about a book of, of kids and they're, they're trying to solve this mystery in their town, but they're black kids. And, and I think my own kid and the kids in my classroom need to see that when you're, you know, they're kids too. They're kids too. And so every book that has a diverse character in it doesn't necessarily have to be one that also has trauma. Um, another great author, Angie Thomas, Bree, I'm sure, you know, I don't know if you've talked about this, but The Hate You Give, you know, turned into a movie. She has a new book that's going to be coming out called Concrete Rose. Of course, another Tupac reference. Um, Tiffany Jackson is a phenomenal female black writer. Um, she focused on, there's a book she wrote called Monday's Not Coming. It was about um, the girls in D.C. who were going missing. Um, the hashtag D.C. girls gone missing. She wrote a book inspired by that. And again, it just, you know, when I talk about these books in my classroom and kids read them, then they, I find them going to research it. They would come back and say, well, Mrs. Schaefer, we looked at this hashtag. This is really happening. Well, yeah, it is. Mrs. Schaefer, did you know that this percentage of girl, females that go missing are people of color? Yeah, I did know. And so I find that sometimes all I have to do is hand them a, a book and they automatically start trying to educate themselves about things, which is the really cool thing about starting with fiction. So that actually segues into a question that I had, because one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording is, you know, I've had my black friends kind of share their experiences mm -hmm. with, you know, with the police and mm -hmm. an old supervisor of mine who lived in an affluent white mm -hmm. neighborhood. You know, mm -hmm. he's affluent himself, but he, you know, never felt like he fit in. Uh, and it was one of those things where it was really, it was a very hard concept for me to grasp, even as like a, an adult. Mm -hmm. It was very hard for me to really understand until I started seeing these videos of police brutality being shared mm -hmm. on social media. And I'm mm -hmm. almost embarrassed to admit yeah. that it took the, seeing these videos mm -hmm. for me to truly realize and understand, you know, what was happening in the world outside of, you know, of my little bubble. So what is one of the ways that you can, yeah. I guess, help that message sink in for, especially for people who are in majority white neighborhoods or for mm -hmm. people who haven't witnessed these kinds of things themselves? Yeah, I, you know, if I'm talking about books, there are a couple that I, um, White Fragility and um, Jason Reynolds' new book, Stamped, and White Rage, um, which is by Carol Anderson. Those were kind of my three jumping off points. 
as an adult. And, um, you know, those three really helped me check myself um, sometimes because, you know, it's, it's, it's scary to talk about this. You know, I'm coming on here talking about this and you don't want to misspeak and you don't want to misrepresent someone and you don't want, you know, I can't speak for the black community. I can't speak for any other people of color. Um, but what, you know, white fragility, uh, you know, taught me was I do have to talk about it and I do have to understand that I'm probably going to make mistakes, but they don't, they don't expect me to be perfect. And so I guess I've learned that when I do say something wrong, when I have used, you know, the word person of color instead of uh, owning the word black or black community, I have to take a step back and realize, well, yeah, I'm okay for you to call me out on that. And it doesn't mean that I stop talking or I'm embarrassed or I hide behind it. It just means that could I show that I learned. And so um, we've been involving there's a national organization called Project Lit, and it's um, fiction and nonfiction books. And so one of the ways that I'm trying to I'm trying to include community members um, is through doing little little book clubs that feature diverse texts. So um, you know it's inviting parents into the conversations. It's inviting other staff members in my district and my building into those conversations, um, and it's about amplifying other voices. So I, you know, it's me stepping back and saying, here, you, you run this book club, you know, you speak this experience. I don't, I can't. So it's, it's little things, it's just little things like that, that I try to do. Oh, sorry. I couldn't find the mute button. No, that's okay. And I feel like everything <laughs> comes back to books for me. So I could talk about books for days on end. So I'm an after my own heart. I really need to start reading more. I, um, <laughs> so I want to say, God, I feel I feel I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, I know I gotta ask questions, but I'm such a dumbass compared to this woman. <laughs> like, what am I supposed no, to say? No, not no, not at all. Listen, Brittany, I will tell you, my sister. She, no. I always go to her for books, and I will tell you, I enjoy reading the kid literature books way more, more than adult books that so sounds you, amazing if like, you ever yeah. need a recommendation yes, definitely please. go to my sister. my favorite thing to do <laughs> give oh me the kid so good i feel like ya novels like the young adult novels are so much better than the ones for adults because there's yes. some there are some books that i read that are definitely geared towards adults and would be yes. over okay. over a kid's mm-hmm. head that i like thoroughly enjoy like one of my exactly. favorite books in the whole world is snow crash by neil stevenson and that is a very heavy book Ooh. but okay. You know, it, it's one of those things where when you read the young adult novels, I feel like they don't try to be too smart. I think that's probably my biggest yes, it's not criticism. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's my biggest criticism of novels that are geared towards adults that are not marketed towards children oh. or young or young teens. That these these books try they try too hard to be yeah. adult or to be smart. And at some point, I just get I just stop paying attention. Like I'm reading the words and I stop pay, yeah. paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, YA lately, I mean, in the past probably three to five years, has leaned into some heavy, heavy topics. I mean, it's um, all like futuristic well dystopian done. societies. Like, <laughs> well, like... yeah, that's currently happening right now. Yeah, I was going to say, yes. I was like, aren't we living that? Yeah, so yeah. you look at like Hunger Games and Maze yeah, Runner and even Harry yeah. Potter. Like, it's yeah. all these 
like dystopian societies and yeah i mean even um gosh what's that show on hulu that was a book first handmaid's tale like that oh, wasn't yeah. a children's book but yeah, you yeah. know i'm yeah. like i'm like 30 seconds away from going to the bank and pulling out all my money so i know yeah <laughs> no, i know exactly what you mean <laughs> So, Brittany, if I could, I would highly, re- you would really, really like The Hate You Give. Haley mentioned oh, it. Um, yeah. They turned it into a movie. The movie is also really good. But I would say that was one that I, I think I read last year, and I literally finished it in a matter of two days. It was oh, okay. so good. Guys, um, we should definitely... start a, we should start a That's What Be Said book club. Oh, I am yes. in. Oh, yes. I'm okay. so in. Hold so, Haley, me accountable. That... Make me yes. read. Yes. Yes. Is that oh, yeah. the start? What's our starting book? If, if we're going to start oh. this, because I think we'll uh... get our listeners they'll they'll join in on this yeah the hate you give is long but it is it doesn't feel long the other one that would be a really good starting point is um all american boys that's jason reynolds um and brendan kelly um kelly who's white um and he writes from the white perspective in the book and jason reynolds is black and he writes the black character's perspective and it's phenomenal it was written um I should say, not written, inspired by the Tamir Rice. Okay. Case. So, that sounds also really, really good. good. Yeah. All so right. What, well, what's okay. your opinion, uh, Haley? What's your opinion of yeah. Watership Down? Because I, so I read that book in high school and I hated it. And the only reason, so the only reason I read it is because it was one of my dad's favorite books. And I like, I, my dad is my hero. So I have to do everything he does. So he talked about how much he loved that book. So I read it and I hated it. And like everyone I talk to talks about how great watership down is and i have it like i have a physical copy of it in my apartment right now so i was thinking like should i try to reread it or should i just move on with life saying that i didn't like the book i don't know i feel i struggle with that because i feel like some of the books that i read in high school like fahrenheit 451 um i i didn't love in high school because i just didn't it didn't i didn't see myself in those books so i just, just didn't relate to them at all and i will say i have gone back and read some of those books and I have a new appreciation for them. So it, it's worth, I think it's worth a try. Okay. It's worth a try to go back and get into that again. Sometimes, you know, with your life experiences, things have happened and you go back and, and you can find something in a book that you connect with that you didn't before. Yeah, it's yeah. strange because like I'm I'm a huge fan of like the dystopian society mm. type books and I always have been. Um, mm-hmm. one of, like Fahrenheit 451 was one of my favorite books yeah. in in high okay. school and another one that I absolutely loved and I think I read it cover to cover in less than a day because I loved it so much was um Brave New World yeah okay so, yep so yeah so yeah, I, I don't know what heavy, it is about those. those are some heavy books you've got to try yeah. Neil Schusterman um Neil Schusterman's trilogy site it's okay. it's dystopian it I think you'll like it's intense I think you'll like it all right I'm gonna add it to my list these are okay, all books yeah, add it to all books that we're going to have in our That's What Be Said book club. Yeah, I'm excited right. about this. Haley, before yeah, we get you but... out of here, because I know it's yeah. uh, after 10 on a Tuesday and you've got. Um, yeah, no, this was my, today was my last day of school. <gasps> oh, good. Yay. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> last day of school. And right now, two thirds of my kids are still awake. So Okay, I'm... okay. So I'm... you're not going to be sleeping anyway. Exactly. <laughs> It, anything you want to plug or promote or any last thoughts before we send you on your way? No, listen, um, on a, on a, and you can cut this part out, obviously, but on a different day, when you start to do your book club, like I, I'll talk about my blog. Um, cause I do blog 
Um, Talk about your blog. We don't I, have to cut this out. Yes. Yeah. Tell us. No, I don't. It's nothing. No, it's nothing. It's nothing intense. And it's, it's really, it's just teachers who read. And I co-blog with two other people. And it, it is focused on middle grade literature and YA literature. Um, and so it's just a place I always refer people to if they're looking for books, if they have kids and they want to know what they should have their kids read. Um, and we clearly try to, you know, our, our focus is reading diverse text if you the hashtag we need diverse books um is another good starting point too for age birth to 100 um you could usually find something under that hashtag but no that's it i, I have nothing to promote i have nothing to offer other than my are. endless my endless knowledge of YA literature that's it that's all i have all right well everyone this was my lovely sister she has so much to offer she never gives herself enough credit but if you have a child that is in one of her classes they are yeah. the luckiest student so no just. i'm lucky no i'm so lucky to have them i was so proud of them some of them protested today i saw um, that picture aww. you sent me yeah and i had a student um message me earlier she saw jason reynolds on tv talking about this movement and so um i'm i'm proud i'm really proud of them because you know it's it's a hard thing to talk about and and they've done a great job trying to understand other people's perspectives so well, they're doing awesome. the work too thank yes. you Haley. So, continue no, shaping those you. young minds oh, listen i don't know about that I, I will see you this weekend for a watermelon white claw you earned it <laughs> bye thank you for coming thank on you. All right. Well, that wraps us up for this episode, episode 29. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We know it was a long one. Um, we appreciate you tuning in. Obviously, this was not a show that was discussing sports. So thank you for letting us have the opportunity to share our thoughts on everything going on. We encourage you all to continue to share your thoughts out there on your social media platforms make sure that you interact with us tag us uh, this is obviously way more important than anything having to do with sports so again we thank you so much for listening uh, we hope that this discussion continues over the next few days and weeks and months and it won't stop and we will make sure that we continue to talk about it uh, be sure to download us on Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Please rate and review us. And we thank you guys again. We're going to get our book club started and out there. If you're interested in joining, we would love, 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 love to have you and to have open and honest discussions. We will talk to you all next week. Stay safe and be kind. <laughs>